Cool. All right, so we're going to jump into the Word today. Uh, if you're new, welcome. My name is Ryan Longfield. I'm the senior pastor here with, with, uh, along with my wife, Suki Longfield. She's not here with us today. She's on extended sabbatical. Um, we have been going through the book of Matthew, and we find ourselves towards the end of the book of Matthew, and periodically we'll jump out of the book of Matthew when I'm speaking up here to talk about something that's on my heart and something that I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me. Today is one of those days. So I apologize that we will not be digging into one of the beautiful biographies of Jesus. We are going to de deviate and go somewhere else. The good part is the whole book's good. So that's, that's the good part. So we're going to jump somewhere else and we're going to explore a different part of the book today. Um, if you want to go there uh, as I'm talking, you can just put your finger in Proverbs 3. I want to talk today about wisdom. And... The topic of wisdom has been on my heart quite a bit this week, uh, and as I was exploring the word about wisdom and what it has to say about wisdom, you know, there's some crazy stories in there, like Solomon is a, is a very young man, and God comes to him and says, you know, like, what do you want, anything that you want, and we see that Solomon says he wants wisdom, and the Lord loves the answer. He's like, oh, such a good answer. Because you said wisdom, I'll give you wisdom, and I'll give you riches, and fame, and success, and healthy family, etc., etc. And you can tell in this moment that God's just like, oh, finally somebody— I, I think that David trained Solomon really well. Like, you don't come up with that answer on your own, right? Like, David was like, when he was growing up, he's like, wisdom. It's more precious than gold. You know, wisdom. It's finer than rubies. You know, God ever comes to you, pray for wisdom. You know, served him well. Uh, when we dig into the Proverbs, the Proverbs are written largely by Solomon, and Solomon was this man who walked around with a crazy amount of wisdom, and one of the things that you read repeatedly over and over and over again in Proverbs is, wisdom should be sought after more than any riches on this earth. And it just occurs to me, is our relationship and our value for wisdom reflective of the biblical relationship and value for wisdom? When we think about what we're praying about daily, how often are we praying for extreme wisdom? When we think about the core pursuits of our life, generally, how often do we say, a man or a woman of wisdom, that, that, that's what I'm going after? And I think usually because we don't understand wisdom and we don't necessarily believe in the qualities that we get from being a wise person— we don't pursue it with the vigor that I would encourage us, and I kind of want to instill today as we talk about wisdom, that we go after. I think this, is, this should be one of those things that is like a life pursuit for all of us, where we say we want to be people of wisdom. And why would we want to be people of wisdom? There's one really easy answer to that question, and it's this. The definition of wisdom is the correct application of truth. It's, it's taking all of the facts and all of the situations at hand and all the different complexities that are going on in our earth or in our life or in our heart or in our mind, and it's having answers that are the right answers to the hardest questions. It's like a superpower, right? I mean, that, that to me sounds like an awesome superpower. Give me somebody who has the right answers to the hardest questions, and you can put them in any sector of society, and you will see change, you will see a release of God's kingdom, you will see the expansion of love, you'll see things thrive. And that's what we see all over biblically. When you put somebody who has wisdom in, the, in these places, no matter where you put them, they thrive. They do great. 
And so when we're talking about the importance of wisdom, we need to understand that biblically it's put up there with, with all of the, the greatest things that we could possibly pursue, probably just under his face alone. The other thing that's about the importance of wisdom is that there's so many voices out there that say, oh, this is the path of wisdom. Like, go this way, it's the path of wisdom. One of my favorites, not favorites, is just follow your heart, man. You know? Like, the, the key to making good decisions is to just follow your heart. That's something that, like, if you say that or if you post that on Facebook or, like, you'll get a bunch of likes of people being like, yeah, amen, that's awesome. Do you know that it's, like, completely counter-biblical? It's, like, totally counter-biblical. The, 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 the Bible says, like, don't trust your heart. It, like, literally says those words. Like, it is wicked and it is, it is a liar. It will send you in the wrong direction. So there's all of these voices everywhere telling us to do these things that are completely antithetical to wisdom. How about this one? Look inward. And in self-discovery and self-actualization, you will find everything that you need. Do you know what I see when I go inward? It gets really depressing really quickly. I don't find a lot of answers when I go inward. I find a ton of answers when I go vertical, and I look at the one with all answers. But these are things that are just thrown around as like casual cliches as if we should just accept them and go with them and run in those directions. And they're foolishness, and it's foolishness that's not just uh, neutral. This isn't neutral stuff. This isn't valueless. This isn't like there, there's no negative ramifications to not knowing right from wrong and knowing what wisdom is in the path of life. This is literally people perish for lack of knowledge, is what the Bible says. It says, one of the, the things that's funny in Proverbs is over and over again, it gives the counterexample. It says, the wise person will flourish and blossom and lead to life. And then it'll say, and the fool will. And it's like all these destructive things. It's just a matter of time before the fool burns out. And so this is, this is like, the stakes are high on this stuff. And so when we dig in and we talk about wisdom, I want to start in, in Proverbs chapter 3, but we're going to go and we're going to dig into a bunch of different places in Scripture where it talks about wisdom, and we're going to try to interact with some of the harder things. You know, like wisdom is good in kind of the trivial things, but it's really good in the harder things, right? Like it's really good in those areas where you're asking yourself like the hardest questions. Like, man, like God, in this area— it seems like this core doctrine, maybe that doesn't feel like it reconciles really well with your goodness and your kindness and, like, who I know you to be. Or, man, like, when I, when I look at the world, it's a disaster. You know, like, how, how can I reconcile your sovereignty with what I see going on in the world? Like, big questions, the hard questions. Somebody dies in your family or sickness or, like, the stuff that, like, you need some boldness to interact with, that's where wisdom is really, really gold. And so we're going to go into some of those uh, today as we explore this topic. So let's jump into Proverbs chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. We're going to start in verse 7. I'm reading out of the NLT today. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> the NLT, for those of you who don't know, 
is kind of, it's like the, I think it's like a fifth grade reading level version. So I, I was like, come on. We need humility in this place as we talk about wisdom today. So this is right, right in line with where I need to be. The NLT. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are, more prof or are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her, in her right hand and riches in honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. I'm going to stop there. Come on, right? Who wants some wisdom after reading Proverbs 3? I mean, the, the promise is in there. And, and the one I found interesting as I read through that that kind of pops out is this whole thing about Honor the Lord with your riches, and then all these blessings come out the other side. You know, like I told uh, a coworker once, I don't know how it came up, we were talking about finances, and they're like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I decided to give 100 bucks a month this year to this cause that I care about, and da-da-da, and they're like, how much do you give? And I was like, oh, like this, this is going to get interesting. And I was like, I give about, you know, X percent over 10 uh, of, of my, of my, Gross, gross income. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know? Like, what are you out of your freaking mind? You know, like, are you serious? Wisdom. Wisdom, right? Like, honor the Lord with the first of your wealth, and it will go well with you. It's completely antithetical to the world's wisdom, right? And we see it right here. It says, don't lean on your own understanding. So I'm going to start talking about some quick tips, and then I'm going to go into the deep dive. Does that sound good? All right. So first, to tee it up, I'll ask you, what are the toughest questions that you're asking yourself these days? What's the toughest stuff that you're wrestling with, with the Lord, or maybe not with the Lord, but like, what are you thinking through these days that feels like you could use a good dose of wisdom? So, Lord, it's in these very areas that we offer up to you a prayer right now. And we declare that we need you. And we declare that these lives invite you in to give us your wisdom. Where we have no wisdom, we invite you to give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, practical tip number one, ask the Lord for wisdom in the areas where you don't have any. I'm going to give you a light, stupid example, and then I'll give you a different one. 
I've constantly gotten into the habit these days of asking the Lord for answers that I don't have in the moment. Like, this can be the most trivial thing, or it can be, like, the most complex thing. But, like, sometimes when I'm up here, I don't know what I'm going to say. And I, and I go, Lord, I need some answers. And you'd be shocked at how the answers come. The other trivial examples are, I'll be going around, and I'll be like, Lord, like, I've totally forgotten the name of this restaurant that I want to go to with Suki in San Francisco. Like, can you just, like, give me the—can you help me out? And I'm shocked at how often he answers these very meaninglessly, like, not life-changing stuff type prayers. I remember this one time—this is totally off of the wisdom thing, but, like, the power of asking. I was super poor. I wanted a TV. I didn't have one. And so I was like, Lord, I know this probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, I understand that this could break on the, ri the risk of being a little materialistic, but I'm going to ask you. And if you don't give it to me, that's okay. I'll still worship you, I promise. <laughs> Can I get a TV? Because, like, I'd love to watch a TV in my house. Like, a week later, a friend of mine said, hey, I have nowhere to store my TV. Would you mind taking it off my hands for me for a while? And then she never came back and got it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think there's kind of this, like, religious barrier that we need to push through that's just like, no, we have an exceptional father who's told us that if we ask for things in his name, in honor and respect and reverence, then he's going to give to us generously. And so, just ask. Get in the habit of asking for stuff. I had this. I was about to make a t-shirt. I love t-shirts with, like, these, these things that the Lord speaks to me. One was never-ending surrender. Someone made that for me recently, which was nice. I was going to make joyously reliant across the front this week. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I feel like re being reliant on somebody carries such negative connotations all the time that I was like, I want to bust that down. Like, I want the pride of my life to be that I'm reliant upon the Lord. For wisdom, for TVs, for love, for, you know, it, like, let's be joyous about our dependence and our reliance upon this amazing one. And specifically against this one in James chapter 1, it says, literally, if you don't have wisdom, ask, and he will give it to you. There you go. You have your, your promise from the Lord. So let's start asking the Lord for wisdom. That's practical tip number one. The second one is, have the humility and openness to learn from wise people. Understand that even in Proverbs it says, in the counsel of many you will find correct answers. There's wisdom in the counsel of many people. And so what I generally do is I usually find people that are really, really wise in a certain area of life, and I learn from them in that area of life. Where we go wrong is trying to learn deep philosophical things from LeBron James because he can play basketball. It's not anything about LeBron. It's just like, it's He's good at basketball, so then he has a platform to talk about all this other stuff. And, you know, like, just because he can, he's the best basketball player in the world, arguably, sorry Warriors fans, but he's pretty legit, doesn't mean that he's, like, great in these other areas, right? And you find somebody who's great in business, and then they start talking about, you know, like, what they're, they believe about God or something like that. And you're like, don't port over the authority in one area to another area. That's where we get in a lot of danger. And so find somebody where the fruit on their life in that particular area is abundant and go and learn. 
get some inheritance in that area have some humility go understand that you could have something to learn and, and learn in that that particular area number three of the practical fast tips maximize the life experiences that you have we can walk through life and rains and storms are for sure going to come our way and there's a posture that we can have with the Lord where we maximize every hardship that we ever go through and it ends up literally perfecting us it's what it says in, in the beginning of James James chapter 1 it says rejoice in, in many trials brethren in sistrin because <laughs> because trials of many kinds produce perseverance and per perseverance when it's completed its work leads to you being complete in every way that's crazy but in order to maximize life experiences that doesn't come for free plenty of people go through plenty of hardships and get get hit by life's lessons and and go through worse off than the way they started it takes a miracle from the lord in order to go through life experiences and come out the other side more wise more soft more loving more trusting more surrendered after you get hit and so what i'd encourage you to do is make sure that you are in a place where you can triumph through your victories and not waste them and squander them because we will have trials, all of us. The one that I wanted to deep dive on today um, also comes from Proverbs. I believe it's in Proverbs chapter 1. And this will be tip number 4, but it really is kind of like where we're going to spend the majority of our time, and it's this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is that the case? That is kind of a strange, a strange thing. The way I've always interpreted this passage, and you probably have as well, is that in order to have a correct relationship with the Lord, it has to start with fear and reverence. Nobody comes to the Lord in a right posture when it feels like you're talking to your buddy straight out of the gates. There's a recognition of his majesty and his glory and his power and the fact that he is so different in every way than anything that we've ever seen. And his, 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 his being, his nature and its very self, if you saw him in all his splendor, you would die like that. Everybody who's ever had some kind of Christophany or some kind of encounter with an angel or something happen, there's one response that happens every time. Flat on your face flat on your face. And so the way I've always interpreted this passage is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning that a life of wisdom starts when you have this understanding of that's God, I'm not. I think that is 100% true, and I think that that is a key part of this passage. The part that I wanted to highlight for us today is, is a touch different. And I was praying this week because... I had a few meetings with different people that were asking really difficult questions, and it felt like there weren't great answers. It was one of those, have you ever talked to somebody where they're struggling with someone or, with someone or something, and you deliver an answer that you think should be really satisfying, and the person walks away and goes, like, completely unsatisfied? Yeah? It's super frustrating, right? You're like, no, 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 I nailed that answer. Like, why was, it, why was that not satisfying? And so I was praying through this this week, and, and I, was, I was, like, 
Where is God's justice in the world? Uh, hard theological issues that don't seem to reconcile. What answers does God have for people who are really struggling in life? Like, not easy things, right? And I understand, like, even when I'm talking to this person, that as I deliver answers, sometimes we deliver answers in an environment where somebody's not emotionally ready to hear the right answer, and it's not helpful in those times, right? And so, what did I think about when I thought about that? Thought about Job. Thought about Job. And as I was reading through the story of Job, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis about the story of Job, because some may have not read the book of Job, and some of you, it might have been a while, because sometimes it's kind of a bummer. And so it's kind of the book that you're like doing the, the, the 360 Bible thing, and you're like, okay, what's next? And so I'm going to give you the quick synopsis of Job, and then I'm going to tell you what I got out of it. The key question that's being answered in the book of Job's is, Job is, why do bad things happen to good people? It's kind of a lifelong, I mean, that's like one for the philosophers, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is the question of all times. Why do bad things happen to good people, and where's the justice in the world? And so the story opens with talking about Job and how amazing he is. In fact, in the first part of Job, we hear God's description of Job as he talks about him before the heavenly courts. And he says this of Job. He's the finest in all the earth. He is blameless and a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. That's a good bio, <laughs> right? Especially when the Lord is saying it of you. That is a good bio. And so he says this, the Lord says this to the heavenly courts. Job's prospering in like every way. He's got some ridiculous number of donkeys, which apparently is like <laughs> the standard of measurement for wealth in this time. He's got a bunch of kids, which is good too. He's got riches, all that stuff. Fame, respect. And so then it goes in. And there's something that's very disturbing that happens where Satan comes to, to, the, to God and he says, you know, he says, God says, where have you been, Satan? And he says, patrolling the earth and kind of seeing what's going on. And he says, have you seen my servant Job? Come on, I know, like that's, yeah. And so what happens from there is basically Satan accuses Job and kind of like disrespects God and saying like, well, of course he honors you and he has high integrity. Like, look what you've done for his life. You've given him everything. If you take that stuff away, he's going he's gonna to curse you, for sure. And God says, no way. I'm betting on my guy. And so he gives him some leeway, and he says, you can go, and you can, you can do some things to Job, but don't take his health. And so he goes, and his riches are gone. His house falls down. His farm is plundered. Like, just all of it goes away in, a, in, in an instant. And so Job has this huge test. All his riches, all his honor, his whole family. Right after that, he goes into another one and his health is taken. So now he's got like boils on his skin and it says that he was using a broken clay pot to scratch his open wounds because it was so itchy and so horrible. And so he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's got dust on his head and he's, he's just fasting and he's before the Lord. Now, there's a couple of crazy things in Job chapter 1. The first thing it says is Job's response. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's just amazing. The next thing he says, as it goes down, it says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. So he goes in and he experiences this crazy thing that he says, you know, like, I'm not sure why God's doing this, but bless his name when he gives and bless his name when he takes it away. And he falls into a posture of worship as his immediate response to everything that's going on. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord give and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That is amazing. That is amazing. A little farther down, it says, His wife came to him and says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die already. Yeah. And he replies, You are talking foolishly. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble as well? Oh. Wow. In Job 30, it goes on. And Job says this. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. In verse 20. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand... And you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me, and with the might of your hand, you persecute me. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight here. One, I love that the Bible tells the real deal. If you're trying to create a squishy God that's created an arm image, you don't create the story of Job. This is, this is real. And God is committed to telling us like it is. So that's the first point that I think we're seeing as we read through the book of Job. The second thing is, is Job's response here. This is the first time. So his friends come to him. He's got these three friends. They're kind of famous now because they're always like, this is the example when you, when you have a friend going through suffering and you go and you just like flap your jaws too fast to try to pull them out of that suffering. You know, it's like, oh, don't worry, it's okay. Like, come on, like, just be joyful. Like, rejoice in the Lord. Quote some scripture that feels super trivial in that moment. That, these are like the three friends that are always quoted. Like, you're Job's friends. Like, did you learn nothing from Job's friends? Now, in actuality, if you read the book of Job's, they sat with him in fasting for seven days and put on sackcloth and ashes and traveled from a long way away. So they sat with him without saying a single word for seven days not eating anything, sitting on the ground in the dust with him. So those are some pretty good friends. Now, when they finally do speak, you can see probably on day seven, they're like, we're never getting out of this. Like, I'm really hungry. Let's like try to encourage this guy into a better place. So finally, their, their hunger gets to them, and they're like, okay, we got to talk to this guy. And they come through kind of hangry. Like when you, when you read it, right, they're basically like, Job, just admit it, man. Like, your integrity is not all you say it is. You definitely sinned, and now the Lord is paying you back for what you deserve. Can we talk about worldly wisdom for a second here? What does this sound like, by the way? 
Karma. Is this not karma? Yeah. The friends are talking idiocy, foolishness. This is not at all what's going on. It's not that Job did something wrong and now he's being repaid for it. Karma is the most cruel philosophy in the world, and if karma was true, all of us would deserve to have what happened to Job happen to them. It's self-righteousness to think that karma works on your behalf. Let's be clear. It's foolish. And so Job's friends basically tee up karma, a novel idea, I know, and say, will you just repent? Will you just declare that, that this is because of your own wickedness? And Job, for 30 chapters or something insane, I don't know why the book needs to be this long, because it's the same thing over and over again. But for 30 chapters, basically says, you guys are wrong, you're foolish, and I'm standing by it. Like, God be my witness. God be my witness. I have not sinned against the Lord. He does awesome. He does so great. And this is, I can't remember where exactly this is. This is pretty deep into the book where he says, this is when he says, God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, and you don't answer. I stand, and you look only at me. And then here's verse 21. He says, you have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. So this is the first time. Job does not deny the Lord. He does not curse the Lord. He does very well, from my, in my humble opinion. But he starts to talk foolishness. He starts to ask the Lord, where is your justice? He starts to do it in a way where he now turns the Lord into his persecutor. And he starts to say, you're set against me. You're harming me. Your justice is not, like, he starts to reason in a way that gets Job in trouble. And the Lord answers with this. Now, mind you, remember what's happened to Job. Let's just anchor ourselves again in what's happened to Job. And, I mean, given what's happened to him, my, my opinion on this does not matter much, right? But I think he's done pretty darn well. And so, what I expect to have happen in this situation is for the Lord to swoop in with his prophetic word and say, Lord, you're, uh, Job, you're a man of high integrity. You've never sinned against me. I was using this for my glory in a way that will be written down in a book and told for generations and generations and be encouragement to millions. You know, like, whatever it is, but somehow address Job in a way that, like, lifts him out in this glorious way. Here's the Lord's response. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such arrogant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation, and who laid its cornerstones? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. I'm going to continue. He says it again. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice? Will you discredit my justice and contemn me, con condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder 
with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and your splendor, your honor and your majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in the world of the dead. Then even I would praise you. For your own strength would save you. God's response to one of the hardest questions that anyone could ask to somebody who's really endured quite a bit is the fear of the Lord. And so what happened for me on this journey was the general fear of the Lord that I attributed to what it looks like to walk into salvation was now applied from Job's story to every hard question that I ever asked the Lord. In other words, the gateway to wisdom for every hard question that you will ever ask is the fear of the Lord. And I'll put it a different way. You will not find satisfying answers if you don't go the path and enter through the gateway of the fear of the Lord. Insert hard question. The way to find answers is to come to the Lord in a way where you recognize His power, His glory, that you know nothing, that His wisdom is so far beyond anything that we could ever imagine that trying to take our version of justice and to, to bring it into the courts of heaven before the Almighty Holy One is the most ridiculous, like, crazy thing that we could possibly do. Oh, God, how could you do this thing and still say you're just? Like, if we understood the dynamic that was going on here, we'd understand that our starting place or that that, that posture towards the Lord is like a foundation of utter foolishness that will never lead to wisdom, to understanding, to satisfaction, to maturity for us. Did you know that one gram of DNA can store 700 terabytes of data? That's literally a drop of DNA can store 700 terabytes of data. That's 14,000 50 gigabyte Blu-ray discs in a droplet of DNA that can fit on your pinky. God's pretty wise. He's pretty good at this stuff. The thing that's crazy is when we, we start to approach the Lord away from this place of reverence and fear, foolishness settles in in a way that is astounding. Let me tell you, like, this is my opinion. You can take it or leave it. I kind of don't understand atheism. Like, I really try sometimes. Well, actually, that's not true. But, like, <laughs> I really don't understand it. I really don't. Like, you're, you're strolling along the beach, and you stumble upon a watch in the sand, and you pick it up, and you're like, ooh, that's a cool watch. Is there any part of you that determines that that was created by chance? Is there any part of you that goes like, wow, how cool that like the sand and the, the water and the wind came together in a way to produce this thing of complexity? Look at how, you know, like, 
wow, nature is so amazing. Do you understand that, like, the whole, like, this all came from nothing is a more ridiculous version of that exact parallel? Who walks by Mount Rushmore and goes, isn't it cool how the, like, lightning struck the rock in just the right way, and then, like, the wind came through and chiseled the chin out? It's like, no, 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 no. When you pass by a level of complexity, then you enter into, okay, somebody did this on purpose. Think about DNA. Volumes and volumes of encyclopedia-type information captured in a droplet of water. How does somebody who's so super smart get to the point of foolishness where they go, no, 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 like what happened was there was nothing, and then out of that nothingness, there was a big explosion, and then that big explosion started shooting off in all directions, and that happened by chance. Like, like wait, what? Like, how does such intelligence and wisdom turn into such foolishness so fast? I'll tell you why. Is because the gateway to all wisdom is to understand our place in the universe. A gate is something that you walk through to enter from one thing to the other. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the gateway where you open the door of the fear of the Lord and you walk through to the other side to the place of wisdom. And this is true in the ultimate sense, like we are saying with salvation and knowing God. And this is true in the complexities of life where we have really, really hard questions. And check this out. God wants to give us answers. He really does. But he's not going to give us answers in an environment where we're interrogating him. He's just not going to do it. When your approach to the Almighty is so far from the realities of the dynamic that's supposed to be playing out in that situation, like, even where Job does so well, he says, okay, like, let's correct something straight out of the gate. Now, the crazy thing about this is, is this posture of life, it feels like God's kind of like strong-arming Job or you know, it's like he's the bully on the court, you know, he's like, you want to play basketball with me? Like, Job tries to shoot, and he's like, whack, you know, like, throws it across the court. It's like, what now, punk, you know? That's not what's going on at all. God is trying to give Job freedom. The fear of the Lord is pure freedom. Let me tell you, so I have, uh, one of the scariest moments of my life is Suki and I were pregnant with Mc she was pregnant. I was just kind of along for the ride, but I, I was there. She was pregnant with, with McKenna, and why do we say we, we were pregnant? It's kind of interesting. She was pregnant. I got this call that she was going into preterm labor. McKenna was 28 weeks old, and that's not a good time to have a baby. For those who don't know, usually 40 weeks is about what you're going for. And so I'm at work, and you can imagine for our first baby getting this call and all of the crazy stuff that starts flowing through your head. Like, God, are you going to kill my baby? You know, like, oh, this baby felt so prophetic. You gave us so many promises. Is this like the end of that? Just like crazy stuff starts flowing through your head, right? And so I get on the BART train, 
and I'd come home from the city to go to the hospital with Suki. And I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I feel probably like Job, like I'm doing pretty well, you know? Like, I know now that when I have one of these moments, the first thing that I do always is worship. It's like, I just know that that's the right response. And whether I feel like it or not, I instantly go into worship. So I sit on the BART train, and, and I just spend about 15 minutes just worshiping the Lord. God, you're amazing. Lord, you're so good. Lord, I deserve nothing, and you give me everything, Lord. You know, just going on and on, just worshiping the Lord. And I get kind of like out of that worshipful space, and, I, and I'm like sitting there praying out the window of the BART train. And I say, Lord, you have, to, you have to save her. And you know what he says back? No, I don't. It was clear as a bell. I was so shocked. That was not the cuddly papa that I thought I was like <laughs> curling up. That's not what I expected. It's not what I expected at all. And, and after that, I was like, okay. And, and quickly after that, he said, she's mine, not, not primarily yours. I can't tell you the amount of burden and lift that were lifted off, to me, off of me in that moment. The Lord had given me something as an extension of what he ultimately is, and somehow what I had done is taken my place and I put it over his where I was fighting for her well-being to her real ultimate father. It was completely out of order, and what the Lord needed to do in order to, to get me any semblance of peace or get me into any like, amount of faith or anything that's going to provide life in this situation for my wife, for my baby, for all of it, is shift that back into right order where it's like, oh, right, you care about her way more than I could ever care about her. Oh, right, I feel super powerless. You're ultimately powerful. Oh, right, like, I have no place in this to communicate a judgment of right and wrong to you. And in this single moment, all of this lightness and peace and joy started flooding me. It's not like I still wasn't like, you know, didn't want the outcome to be what it ended up being. But all of a sudden, I was back in right order, and there was this flow of life that happened. And so in our own wisdom, we think that a God who does this to Job, where he's like, you know, like, who do you think you are? Like, answer my questions. That he's being mean, and he's being like, you know, like pushing— talk about like kicking a guy when he's down. It's like, no, 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 no. God is pulling Job into the place of life by talking about this. And what I want to say to us is one of the ultimate keys, ultimate keys, remember the correct application of truth is wisdom. One of the ultimate keys to walking around this life and being able to say, do I quit my job? Do I not quit my job? Do I feed this homeless person that I'm walking by, or do I not? How do I parent my children? What job do I take next? How do I do this thing with well? What does it look like to respect my parents in this case where they really don't feel respectable at all? What do I do with this theological thing? Like, enter in, what do I do in this friendship? What do I do? Enter all of that stuff. Enter all of that. Envision for me the gate of wisdom, that stand, the gate of the fear of the Lord that's standing right in front of you, and the way to, to interact with all of this stuff is you open the gate of the fear of the Lord and you step into the place of wisdom. It is literally 
a gate to life. It is a gate to, to the right answer in all of the most complex situations. So what, what do we do with all this? Steve, can you come up? Or Joy? So what do we do with all this? So the first thing that I'd encourage you to do is, I think there's something that's really awesome that's happening in the church right now, and I think that it's also kind of dangerous. So the awesome part is that we have a theology of Daddy God. Right? Like, a lot of what you'll hear in the church today is that, you know, he's kind of, he's tender and he's kind, and like, you know, when you have a hard time, you can crawl up into his lap and he'll stroke your hair, and like, I'm not knocking on, like, I love that part of God. He, his, one of his names is Comforter, right? He is Comforter. But what I'd caution you to is don't get too casual and don't get too familiar with him that you've lost the sense of reverence and awe of his majesty and of his glory. Because in a lot of the things that we stand on as truly amazing and truly like what we put our faith in, it's only good news if he's this version of God, the real one. Right? Like, when you're sick with something that's incurable, you need him to be this version of God, not just the cuddly one. When you're talking about injustice in the entire land or world that's heinous to you and to God, answers for that stuff, the reason why the world always immediately turns to politics is because you need something that's so much bigger than yourself that you can then apply that bigness to the bigness of the situation at hand. So our whole nation and everyone's turning to politics right now because it's the only thing that's seen big enough to solve the problems that we're seeing. But God. But God. The right version of God is what we need in these situations. And if we make him our cuddly teddy bear, he stops being the kind of God that can be the Lion of Judah that addresses these types of situations. And so my first thing would say, let's not make him so familiar and so casual that we pull all the power and the glory out of his otherness, his mysteriousness, his, wow, like, you're beyond, you're beyond wisdom, you're beyond understanding, like, that's the one that I serve. As I serve you, I get lost in the mystery of who you are, and mystery is where I live because I'll never understand everything that you're doing, and I'm choosing not to need that. I'm choosing to embrace Proverbs 3 that talks about trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. The last piece is, let's just fall on our face in humility before the Lord. You know, biblically, what we see is the Lord enters, people go down. Let's get in the habit of going down before His majesty. Even in an environment where maybe we're not fully understand, like, oh, I'm so far in the glory, I'm just going to lay down in this work, you know, like, let's get there first. Let's make it a declaration of faith, which is, 
I'm going to lay down before you in humility. I'm going to recognize who I am. You're the God. I'm just a breath. I'm here today. I'm gone tomorrow. Like, I, am a, I am a breath before you, God. And let's start to approach God from a place of humility where we communicate to him that we understand how this dynamic works so that he can trust us with wisdom, so that he can trust us with the understanding that we crave, so that he can trust us with the, the influence that we want to have because it's all birthed out of this deep place of reverence and understanding and a release from the need to, to get it all. And in that environment, he can trust us. And so let's get into this place where we're just on our face in humility before our king and live a lifestyle like that. So why don't we close our time by standing and worshiping the Lord. We're going to have prayer ministers up here if you would like prayer. If you want to come and Repent Like change the way you think Like go from Oh wow I didn't realize I was thinking like this And I need to be thinking like this That's what repentance is Right And so if you need to come up here and do business with the Lord Either at the altar or with one of the prayer ministers Come up here And, and let's, let's leave here With great alignment with God In our approach And our thinking towards him Let's give him the glory that's due his name. Let's just remember again our place in this whole thing and rejoice in our place in this whole thing. I'm so thankful that he's God and I'm not. I'm so thankful that my piddly understanding of justice is not his understanding of justice. And so let's rejoice in that and let's align our thinking with that and enter into a place of humility and worship as we approach God. So come on forward if you'd like. Otherwise, we'll just worship the Lord as we close.